Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. Today we're going to look back at the big events in the music business and audio production in 2023. First, let's start with music business. This was a year for record-breaking tours, and I mean record-breaking in terms of revenue. First was Elton John, who had the biggest tour ever, grossed about $900 million. And believe it or not, this was eclipsed by Taylor Swift, and she made more money for many of the venues and cities than even hosting a Super Bowl. Beyonce also had a huge tour. And what this goes to prove is that the fear that there won't be future headliners that could actually pack a stadium, that's pretty much not a concern, as there are plenty of new artists that are doing just that. Looks like that's not going to be a problem going forward. This is also a year for big cutbacks in the amount of employees for some of the bigger music firms. Motown, Downtown, Warner Music Group, CAA, Utopia Music, Big companies like Meta, BMG, Instagram, Discord, TikTok Music, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, and Tidal, and then Google itself, Amazon, and Spotify especially, all had big cuts of human resources. So if you look at the big picture of this, what it means is that the heyday of tech is somewhat over in that these companies were ramping up and ramping up for bigger and bigger revenue and bigger and bigger things that were supposed to happen that never did. For instance, with Spotify, it spent a huge amount of money in podcasts, and most of the cuts have been in the podcast areas as it's discovered that it's not making money, so it's cutting back. The good news is that it looks like this round of tech cuts is somewhat over, and we're not going to have that going forward in 2024. Copyright is always a big thing, and for the most part, songwriters were very afraid that they were going to be caught in a plagiarism suit because most popular songwriters were not winning. Well, Ed Sheeran this year won a plagiarism lawsuit for his thinking out loud, and the estate of Marvin Gaye said that it copies Let's Get It On, which, as you remember, that was a big deal five or six years ago with the Robin Thicke song, Blurred Lines. In that case, Blurred Lines didn't sound anything like Let's Get It On, but it had the same feel. In this case, it was somewhat the same, where it was more the feel than the actual chord changes or melody, and Ed Sheeran actually came out on top on this one. So this is good news for songwriters going forward. There are actually a number of other things in copyright that had to do with AI that may influence copyright law and plagiarism lawsuits going forward, and we'll get to those in a second. A big thing for me was that CD Baby ended CD and vinyl distribution this year. CD Baby was one of the only places where you can go if you're an indie artist to actually get your CD or vinyl out there. And for years it thrived and indie musicians thrived as a result. CD Baby was also one of the first to get into digital distribution. And since it's found out that there's a lot more money in that than there is in physical product distribution, especially when it comes to having inventory and warehouses and a lot of people that are servicing those products. So it's a sad day, but it's also a day that looks like it was inevitable as CD Baby ended CD distribution. A little bit of good news was that Live Nation scrapped merch fees. What does that mean? Well, 
if you go to any venue, you're going to have to split your merch revenue with the venue. And that can go from anywhere from 25 to as high as 35%. Well, because of some pressure from Congress and because of Willie Nelson's On the Road Again program that's there to support developing artists and crew, Live Nation has decided to scrap those fees. So now artists in Live Nation venues can sell their merch without having to split it with the venue. A lot of this has to do with the fact that Live Nation sales are booming after the pandemic. So they're losing some money, but it might not be as much as it seems. One thing that's not booming, though, is alcohol sales at venues, because Gen Z is drinking less. About 28% of college students now abstain from drinking alcohol in favor of healthier lifestyles and the fact that they can now talk more openly about their mental health issues. That's actually a bad thing for venues, though, because many venues depend on those alcohol sales in order to stay open. And with Gen Z being the ones that frequent those venues more than any of the other generations, that's not going to be a great thing for music venues going forward. This is a year for streaming scams, as bad actors have figured out multiple ways to take some money out of your pocket when it comes to streaming. One of the ways is claiming another artist's song as your own. So in other words, they may see a Bruce Springsteen song or an Ariana Grande song and say, well, this is by me, and upload it. And sometimes it will be caught by the streaming service and sometimes it won't be. Well, there you go. There's an artist that's not making money on that. It's not so bad if it's a legacy artist or someone that's really huge because they can afford it. But with a smaller artist, that can really hurt the bottom line. Another thing is what they call playlist hijacking. And this is by using click farms to click on a song in order to get lots and lots of streams. Now, the way Spotify pays and most streaming services pay a royalty to the songwriters and to the artists is by taking all of the money that comes in and putting it in a pool. They divide it by the number of streams. So if, in fact, there's somebody out there with a million streams that they got from playlist hijacking from those click farms, and that's not helping everybody else. So that's another thing. Another scam was either taking a song and speeding it up or slowing it down. Now, again, this could be a popular song that you claim as your own and upload it with a different speed. And then many times the copyright protection of that particular service will not catch it because it's either faster or slower. Now, the irony of this is labels are now actually using their own sped up tracks. So what they'll do is they'll take something that seems like it's a hit, they'll speed it up by 10% and put it online because this is a big thing now. And there are actually lots of playlists with sped up tracks because people like them better. Another scam is noise tracks. So what that is, is just taking some pink noise, white noise, whatever it might be, and claiming that as a song, putting it up there, and then maybe using a click farm to actually get a lot of clicks on it. The thing about it is these tracks are usually very short. 30 seconds because that's what you need in order for it to be an official stream that you get paid for. So it's a series of 30 second clips back to back to back to back. Another scam, and there's a lot of them here, is that sometimes people will put up their own song and say featuring a popular artist, featuring Ariana Grande, because that will get a lot of juice when people go to search, even though that popular artist is not on the track. And then finally, 
the big thing that happened with Spotify in Sweden was that gangs were actually laundering money by using Spotify. And they were doing that by taking their ill-gotten gains and converting it to crypto to buy fake streams for the artists they're connected to. Luckily, that was busted. And Spotify and all the other streamers are now aware of these scams and are actually taking some steps to overcome this. So that's the good news in all this. Country music exploded last year thanks to Morgan Wallen, Luke Combs, and even though the genre is big and growing every year, last year it grew more than ever. And in fact, now we're seeing this as pretty much mainstream in a way that we haven't seen ever before. You've probably heard a lot about catalog acquisitions. So it's someone like Billy Joel or Pink Floyd who haven't actually sold their catalog, or you name the popular artist, Paul Simon, for instance, who would sell a catalog for a huge amount of money. The catalog was usually purchased by a company that was supported by a private equity company. The idea was that years and years and years from now, the catalog is going to be throwing off money in a way that not going to benefit the artist because the artist will probably not be around by that time. And in fact, they'll make their money back. Well, it turns out these acquisitions were a function of really cheap money. And now that money isn't cheap anymore, catalog acquisitions have really slowed down. And really, it makes more sense in the marketplace because now there's a lot of thinking that perhaps these were not great investments after all. This has been going on for a while. I think it's coming to a peak though where record labels are losing influence. They're not good at developing new acts. And a lot of this has to do with the fact that we've had data-driven A&R for quite a while. So instead of A&R people doing the traditional thing that they used to, which is going out to clubs, which is listening to artists, which is actually weeding out and finding good artists, they would look at the data of whoever was hot in streaming or social media or whatever. And what ended up happening was they signed a lot of artists that might have had one song that caught on and nothing after that. So we've had three or four years, maybe even a little longer, of, let's say, lazy A&R that was completely data-driven. And as a result, the record labels kind of have a dearth of new developing artists. And the artists that are out there and are worthy of being signed to a record label, now are thinking, why do I need a label to begin with? Because I can get so many of these services by just buying them rather than tying up my whole catalog with a record label. So record labels are losing more influence, especially with younger artists. And we've seen what happened to radio when that same thing happened to them, where radio now has no influence. And in fact, for the most part, it's just used for news and sports and not so much for music anymore. Speaking of record labels, the corporate music industry is shifting away from Western music and more towards Latin, K-pop, Korean pop, and African, because many of the global chart toppers are coming from those areas and have their influence worldwide much greater than Western artists right now. So yes, we have Taylor Swift and we have Beyonce and we have a few superstars that can easily transcend that. But for the most part, the new artists are coming from areas that are not in the Western portion of the world. Of course, Twitter was a big story last year as it was bought by Elon Musk and changed the name to X lost its audience and lost advertisers. And this has basically forced so many artists away from the platform. Threads came out and rushed in to fill the void. 
and immediately got 100 million subscribers. The problem was that Threads was not ready for primetime when it was released. So it lost many of those subscribers already, and we'll have a hard time getting them back. Now, normally I would say there'd be space for a new social network, but the fact of the matter is, all the data says that we're all using social less and less. A lot of it has to do with the fact that we're tired of it. A lot of it has to do with the negativity that surrounds it. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that it just does take so much out of our lives. So even if something new does come about, it may not have the impact as Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok are having now, as even these platforms are feeling the pullback from their subscribers. One of the bigger things that was announced this year will go into effect next year is the fact that Spotify is changing its royalty structure. Basically, the new royalty policy is unless your song gets at least a thousand plays, it won't receive any royalties. So you need a thousand plays over the year, which is not that much in the grand scheme of things. In fact, it's been found that 58% of online music has less than 10 plays. This is total in a lifetime. So we all knew this was going to happen. It might come to a point where, in fact, you get charged for having your music on a service and it doesn't get X number of plays. And I predict that's going to happen in a little bit. That said, this thousand play royalty structure is going to change things in the coming year. Probably won't change anything for indie artists that aren't getting that much play to begin with, but it will mean more money in the pockets for people that do get a lot of plays. So last year, Spotify and YouTube raised their prices, and it wasn't much of a shock and there wasn't much pushback, and that's what the music community has been telling the streaming platforms for quite a while. $9.95 is not a good price point anymore. Everything else is raises price because of inflation, and streaming music should do that as well. In fact, that's what's happened, and it's going to be better for just about everybody in the music business as a result. Metallica bought their own pressing plant. Yeah, they bought Furnace Pressing in Alexandria, Virginia. And one of the reasons why is the fact that they were selling so much vinyl, it made more sense to own the plant and, in fact, be able to use the facility whenever they needed it rather than waiting in line just like everybody else. So it just goes to show you that vinyl is not dead, especially for certain legacy artists. But what is the problem here is the fact that the turnaround time is really long. It's come down a little bit this year, but not all that much. So for Metallica, it made sense to make this move. This is one that scares a lot of songwriters. BMI has converted to a for-profit model. Then it turned around and it sold to a private equity firm, New Market Capital. So here we have a private equity company that is there to make money. And more than anything, they want to make money. They don't much care about anything else other than the bottom line. And the fact that BMI is now more concentrated on making money for the company rather than for the people that actually make the company, which is the songwriters. So there's a lot of songwriters that may jump to ASCAP. They probably won't jump to CSAC because that's already owned by another private equity company, Blackstone. This is happening more and more. And you'll hear more about this in the second half. Maybe the biggest thing of the year, 2023, was AI, artificial intelligence. When ChatGPT came out, it was a big, big bombshell for many industries, and the music industry was a big part of that as well. AI has been used in audio for a long time. It's been used in audio processing like EQ, 
like compression limiting, track separation, noise reduction, but now it's also being used in composition, production, especially good at marketing and doing things like creating videos, creating branding, creating images, all these things that it would have taken a graphic artist or it would have taken an audio person or an editor to do. Now it's easier to do thanks to AI. Now, a lot of this came to a head in April when an anonymous songwriter called Ghostwriter released his first single called Heart on My Sleeve, which had vocal clones of Drake and The Weeknd on it. So everybody thought that it was Drake and The Weeknd, and in fact, it was Ghostwriter who put this together. So what everybody thought after that was, I can go to one of these AI composition platforms like Ava or Boomy or Loudly, and I can just put in, make me a song like Drake, and it's going to do it. In fact, it's not that easy as people have been finding out since then. It does take a lot of expertise in order to get what you want out of it. And even though it's a godsend for neophytes and people that have no musical ability whatsoever, it's not going to take a real musician's job by any stretch of the imagination. Now, what happened this year is some copyright restrictions that came out. And the Copyright Office, first of all, said a 100% AI-generated piece of art, music, whatever it might be, cannot get a copyright. And soon after, we had the Grammy organization saying, well, guess what? A 100% AI-created song cannot earn a Grammy as well. And then we had Spotify and SoundCloud and just about every streamer say, if the song that you uploaded is 100% AI-generated, we're going to take it down. Now, the thing that the Copyright Office did not and will not put a number on is, okay, if a 100% AI-generated song cannot own a copyright, well, how about if a human is involved, which most of the time a human is anyway, and it doesn't say to what degree, how much input does a human have to have? So that's still up in the air. Nonetheless, we're making great strides this year in both realizations that AI is not the end-all be-all and also what you can do on the copyright side and the licensing side with AI-generated art and music. Of course, one of the biggest events in the world of entertainment this last year was the Hollywood strikes, and that's both the writer's strike and the actor's strike. And this really affects any musician, songwriter, band, artist, who's trying to get into sync licensing. Now, one of the byproducts of these strikes is something that's kind of flying under the radar, and that's that the streamers are not making as much money as everybody thought. And one of the reasons why we know that is the fact that, first, they would never tell anybody what the ratings are. They would just say, this show is a hit, or it wasn't a hit. And no one would ever know how many people actually watched. Well, now, with the writer's strike, the writers demanded to know this, and they didn't get that demand. But what they did get was the streamers would give them a bonus whenever they hit a certain point of viewers. But that being said, who's to say they ever hit that point if they don't know how many people are watching in the first place? But the bottom line here is there's going to be much less production going forward because now it's become very apparent that streamers were just not making all that much on their shows so we'll see less production, and as a result, there'll be less sync licensing, which is not a good thing, especially when it was a very thriving industry and an additional income source for so many artists, bands, songwriters, musicians. That old joke about anybody who could get a deal with Netflix as long as you had a script will no longer be true going forward. So that's quite a lot for the music business, 
but we're going to have more about the year's audio production highlights in a moment after this. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that my new Musician's AI Handbook is now available. It's packed with information about how AI can help you with new song, lyric, mixing, and mastering ideas, as well as music marketing to help you get your music out to the audience that you deserve. To get your copy, go to rebrand.ly forward slash AI Handbook. That's rebrand.ly forward slash AI Handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. All right, coming to the world of audio production. This is another year of more and more brands that were being acquired by conglomerates or private equity companies. First of all, Marshall Amplification, Marshall Amplifiers, sold to Sound Industries of Sweden. Now, they've been a partner for a long time, making accessories for Marshall, but now they own them. Sonable and Harrison, Audiotonics is one of the bigger holding companies in the audio business. Blue Microphones was acquired by Logitech a few years ago, and now Logitech has decided to retire the Blue brand. So Blue Microphones will be no more. The sad part about that is Blue used to make some really good high-end mics that went away as soon as Logitech acquired them, and now Blue mics in general are gone. This was kind of stunning. Avid was sold to private equity firm STG, Many think this actually might be a good thing because Avid was a public company and now STG has taken them private so they can move faster, they can do a lot of things that they couldn't as a private company that hopefully will be better for their customers. Moog was bought by InMusic and then InMusic turned around and fired much of the staff. Not a good look. Mackie was recently purchased by Rode Microphones. It's kind of an odd pairing But maybe not so much when you think about it, since Mackie has kind of fallen on hard times lately, and Rode is riding high, especially with his podcasting products, so this actually could be a pretty good pairing. In a big surprise, SongTrader purchased Bandcamp, and then SongTrader turned around, laid off a lot of the Bandcamp staff. So this isn't a great thing for indie artists who depended on Bandcamp for their websites, for selling merch, things like that. Another one that was sort of a surprise was that Native Instruments rolled up Isotope, Brainworks, and Plugin Alliance all this year. So now they're all under Native Instruments. It's yet to be seen whether the brands are going to remain or not. On a positive note, for those of you old enough to care, Sun Amplifiers is returning and they're actually going to build some of the old amplifiers that everybody loved, the T-Series in particular. Sun has been owned by Fender for a while, but supposedly the new Sun is going to operate as its own entity. On a very sad note, United Recording was closed. Now, United was one of the all-time wonderful, fantastic Hollywood studios used by every major artist you can think of from the 60s on. For a while, it was Ocean Way, and then it was purchased, and its name returned to United Recording. United was one of the first independent recording studios. It was owned and built by the legendary engineer, Bill Putnam, and much of what he did was still there. It's owned by the film studio next door, Gower Studios, and there was some talk about them actually taking that whole building, which is huge, and moving it to a back lot. 
Well, that's obviously not going to happen, and instead it's going to turn into an office building, which is really sad. Also, Capitol Records remains closed in something that started last year, 2022, and it'll probably be closed for another year. Ostensibly, this is about earthquake retrofitting, but also has to do with union busting because Capitol Records is one of the few studios that actually had a union involved. But in their contract, it stipulated that if the studio was closed for two years, they could disband the union, and that's what's going to happen. There's some speculation as to whether the studio will actually open again or not. So fingers crossed that that's going to happen next year. This is something that's really exciting for those of you who have hearing problems, and we all do the older we get. Researchers at Harvard have been able to regenerate hair cells, and that ultimately could turn into a hearing loss cure. One of the problems is we have these hair cells in our inner ears, and they get damaged, and they kind of fold down. When that happens, they don't grow back, and they don't straighten out. So it's a big deal for, at least in rats, to regenerate hair cells. Let's hope that it is the cure for hearing loss that we all think it might be. The loudest sound ever recorded happened last year. And this was from contributions from the SLAC National Accelerator Lab and Stanford. They recorded it at 270 dB. It happened in 40 billionth of a second. It was created underwater. And they say it's the loudest sound that ever was and ever will be, although nobody heard it because it was mostly in a vacuum. Just to give you some perspective, a NASA rocket launch is 202 dB SPL. Normal conversation is 55, and a jet aircraft taking off basically a football field away is about 130 dB. So this was really loud. Speaking of researchers, researchers at the National Taiwan University finally found out what really makes a Stradivarius sound so good. Now, over the years, there's been lots of speculation as to why Stradivarius instruments just sounded so superior to everything else. Many thought it was the tone woods that were used, and many thought it was the varnish that was used. Well, it turns out the findings show that it was a combination of borax, zinc, copper, and alum, along with some lime water, that was used to treat the wood planks before they were even shaped into an instrument. Surprisingly enough, this was originally done to prevent worms from eating away at the wood, since infestations were pretty widespread at the time. But then it was accidentally discovered that the chemicals gave it a sweeter sound as well. So this combination was a closely kept secret since this was the days before patents, and the formula was never written down, but those clever researchers at the National Taiwan University discovered what it is. Thunderbolt 5 was introduced by Intel. Yeah, just about the time we all got used to Thunderbolt 4 and bought all the cables that we needed, spent too much money doing it, well, Thunderbolt 5 was announced. The good thing is, for the most part, we can use the same cables because it's downward and upward compatible. We'll need special cables to get the speed that Thunderbolt 5 is predicting. It's basically going to be double the speed again, which for most audio processes doesn't matter because we have plenty of speed already. If you're doing video and you're doing 8K video, then it's probably important. But for the rest of us humans that don't do that, we're probably in good shape. Something that the industry predicted would never happen. Universal Audio unchained their UAD plugins from their hardware. Of course, if you wanted UAD plugins up until this year, you had to buy one of their hardware pieces. You had to buy an Apollo. You had to buy one of their computer cards. But now you can buy these independently with their Spark subscription service. A trend that's happening that's kind of under the radar is that 
musical instrument and audio manufacturing is moving out of China and it's going to Vietnam, Indonesia, and Malaysia. Of course, this is happening with other industries as well. But MI and audio is usually kind of behind the times when it comes to a lot of this. Not this time. And this is mostly for two reasons. One of the things we found out is that supply chain is really important. And when COVID hit and suddenly parts and products that were being manufactured in China were no longer available, that really hurt a lot of companies. They don't want that to happen again. The other thing is the Chinese economy is not doing well. And in fact, there are many predictions that it might be in a crisis this coming year. So in order to preempt that, a lot of the manufacturing is moving to other places in Southeast Asia. It's really been a tumultuous and exciting year, and it leads me to think that next year is going to be even more so. In my next episode, I'm going to take a look at last year's predictions and how they worked out, as well as some predictions for the music and audio business in 2024. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. You can also learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com where you can find an Apple Podcasts, Apple Music, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bobby Osinski.